Now, I read the story, and I thought it was quite interesting. It was about a professor. She was a young professor, and she had a lot of liberal tendencies, and it was really obvious as soon as the students sat in her class, they knew that they had a different kind of professor. She was an atheist, and she was proud of being an atheist, and so she told her students, hey, I'll tell you what, I'm going to make you a deal. If you guys will say you're atheists, then I will give you better grades, and I'll make sure you don't ever have any homework. Well, that got their attention really quickly. They're like, this is great. <laughs> I'm in college and no homework. She said, all you have to do is when I count to three, stand up and say, I am an atheist. Most of the kids didn't care. They're thinking, you know, hey, it doesn't really matter, but whatever. If this is what the professor wants, no big deal. One, two, three, stand up. Everyone stood up but one girl. <laughs> her name was Amy. The professor looked at her and said, Excuse me, young lady, why did you not stand up? Amy said, well, I'm not an atheist. Oh, so what are you? Well, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian? She says, well, I would like to know, and she kind of gets a little angry with her and says, I would like to know why you're a Christian. And Amy says, well, I grew up hearing about Jesus. I grew up believing Jesus. My grandparents are Christians. My mother's a Christian, my father's a Christian, my two brothers are Christians, and so that's why I'm a Christian. The professor said, well, I, that's just not really a good reason at all. I think that's silly. You're just associating with them. She goes, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. She looks at Amy and kind of points at her, and she says, if your grandparents were fools, and your dad was a fool, and your grandmother or your, your mom was a fool, and your brothers were fools, what would you be? She kind of thought for a second, and she smiled. She goes, well, I guess then I'd be an atheist. Right? I'd be an atheist. I say that to say, I was very, very blessed to have incredible professors. I went to Abilene Christian uh, early 80s. Uh, I was talking uh, with Mr. Dayton just a little while ago and mentioned a couple of the teachers that we shared. He was there just a little bit before me. A few, few years, decades maybe, but... Uh, uh, Dr. Lemoyne Lewis was one of my professors at the time. Uh, Dr. Eugene Peterson, uh, the, the incomparable John T. Willis. Many of you have probably heard of Dr. Willis. He was one of the foremost experts probably in the Old Testament. But my favorite by far, I mean absolutely favorite, was Dr. Neil Lightfoot. Dr. Lightfoot was just an incredible professor. He was a reader. He had the thickest of thick glasses his, his office was filled with books. His floor was filled with books. His, his chairs were books. And so you would sit and visit with Dr. Lightfoot and sit on a pile of books. And, and I, I just loved his teaching. I had Dr. Lightfoot for three classes. I had him for biblical exegesis, which is where you learn about research and exegete passages, which I you know, absolutely love. And I had him for the book of John and the book of Hebrews. What's amazing to me, never, it didn't occur to me until about a decade later, that I love to exegete passages, I love the book of John, and I love the book of Hebrews. Those are my favorite two books and, and, and the things that I love to do best. So Dr. Lightfoot, without me even realizing it, taught me so much about these two books and how to research them and understand them. And I think that's very valuable. Now, I will say this. He wasn't an atheist, 
but he did give a lot of homework. <laughs> you can't on that thing. He was going to give homework. And we had a, a lot of that. And so I just wanted to give you that information and understand where I learned about the book of Hebrews. Why Hebrews? I was so excited. You can't even begin to know how excited I was when Mike asked me to teach. That was a good, I wasn't as excited about that part as much as I was like, well, that, that would be good. And he says, what we're doing is we're studying a book and you get to teach the main lesson from it. And I was like, is anybody taking Hebrews? And he's like, nope. And I went, I'm in. I'm, I'm good. I love, 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 love the book of Hebrews. But why Hebrews? Is it a book that we need today? Is it a book, a book that's relevant? Is it applicable for us in, in this generation? There are many Christians who've never studied the book of Hebrews. Now, William Barclay said, when we come to read the letter to the Hebrews, we come to read what is, for the person of today, the most difficult book in the whole New Testament. And I, I've got to tell you, I just disagree. Maybe it's because Dr. Lightfoot made it come alive. And I want... I wish I could just volunteer and say, man, could I come back for about 18 or 19 or 20 weeks and, and dive into the book of Hebrews and be excited uh, to teach that forever and ever and ever. And if you let me stay for 30 or 40 or 50 weeks, we could do that too. But I get one shot, one lesson to basically explain to you why Hebrews has got this incredible lesson. And, and we'll get to that in a minute. In a minute. We need this message today. I, I think there's power. And there's beauty and there's challenge in this book. It's just an incredibly good book. So let me ask you to consider if it's relevant today. Because the book of Hebrews was written to immature Christians who were tempted to fall away from their church attendance and return to their pre-Christian lifestyle. I don't know. Do we need that kind of a book today? Do you think there's anybody that might be a little immature at times in their Christian relationship, in their Christian attendance, and, and, and might want to go back to the way it used to be? It was written, the book of Hebrews was written to encourage discouraged believers who were drifting away from real Christianity. I don't know. Do you think there's some folks today that might need to hear some messages about real Christianity do you see some folks that might be... And I'm not talking about walking and running away. I'm talking about drifting away. And that's what the book of Hebrews talks about. Just this slow little drift. I think it's relevant. The book of Hebrews was written to strengthen commitment and confidence in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Anybody need to strengthen their commitment and confidence in their relationship with Jesus Christ? And it was written especially for those who were tempted to give up because of the pressures of the world on their lifestyles. I don't know about you guys, but I, I spend time every single week with folks who are struggling because of the pressures of the world on their lifestyles. I think it's relevant. So I'm, I'm going to take it in, in, in heart that you agree with me on that. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about this incredible book. Now, the author of Hebrews is attempting to deal with these situations and explain these situations, and he has this, this idea that I can cure the spiritual illness. The things that are, are wrong, I think I can fix. And he says, I think I can do that with a pure theology. Now, we, we see the word theology. Theology is a great word. I, 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 I'm not a... Greek expert, but I know enough to be dangerous. Theology is two Greek words. 
Theos, Logos. It's a combined Greek word. Theos, of course, meaning God, and Logos meaning word or mind. And so theology is the studying of God's word or God's mind, the way God thinks, the way he comes to conclusions, and he passes that on to us. And here in the book of Hebrews, as we're going to see, he does it so very well through his son. And we'll get to those again in just a minute. So the author of Hebrews is going to argue, obviously, from the Scriptures, understanding only what's in the Scriptures, and he's going to help us understand who God is and how God thinks. Now, I'm not presenting any arguments tonight as to who the author is, because the smartest of the smart have no idea. I love to to hear people argue about things they just really don't have a clue about. I mean, we can get little tidbits of information. I don't know about you guys. I like Sherlock Holmes. I like little mysteries. I like little information. If I can put something together, to me, that's extremely fun to figure out. So there's little tidbits of information. There's, There's different ideas of who wrote the book. But everyone agrees upon one thing, and that's the author of Hebrews is well versed in the Old Testament. He understands the law. He understands uh, everything that needs to happen in regards to the Old Testament. So, since the leaders were predominantly Jewish, they obviously know a little bit about the Old Testament. They know a little bit about the law. And so he's going to argue from that. In fact, there's 35 quotations from the Old Testament, and there's over 70 allusions to the Old Testament or teaching in that way. So over 100 allusions, quotations, and information in regards to the Old Testament. That's important because my understanding of my assignment is to teach the main lesson of Hebrews. Now, here's something else I learned when I was in school because I I was a ministry and evangelism major. I don't think they have that major any longer. So that meant I was just well-rounded. I got a little bit of everything. I wasn't a youth ministry major. I wasn't necessarily a a missions major. I mean, I was, but I got everything. I got a lot of everything. So I I got to teach some preaching classes as well. And my preaching teacher was a guy by the name of Mike Lewis. And Mike Lewis said, everyone knows a good sermon has three points. That's, That's how you're supposed to preach. But he would tell me this. He'd say, Mike, you got to tell him what you're going to say. You got to say it and then tell them what you said. You'll be good to go. So I'm going to have an introduction. I'm going to have a body and I'm going to have a conclusion. Well, believe it or not, the book of Hebrews is written like a sermon. Most everyone says it's, it's not your typical letter. Even though it's still called the letter to the Hebrews, the conclusion is like a letter. But the rest of the, of the, the actual book of Hebrews is more like a sermon. And so I'm going to assume whoever the writer is, he knows the Old Testament well, knows the law well, but I'm going to assume that he learned something about preaching and he's going to tell us what he's going to say, then he's going to tell us what he, as he says it, and then he's going to tell us what he said. So I'm thinking to myself, if I'm going to look for the main lesson in the book of Hebrews, I should probably find it in the introduction, don't you agree? Because he's going to tell me what he's going to say. So if you've got Hebrews chapter 1, let's work it, work, look at the first four verses. Now, I've got to say this because these experts tell us this. The first four verses is the most exquisite, well-written Greek phrase in the entire New Testament. 
whoever the author is, wrote this incredible sentence. The first four verses are a single, multi-clause sentence built around one main clause. And that main clause is, God has spoken. That's, that's what we want to look at. So, so read with me the first four verses. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs." The main lesson of Hebrews can be summed up in a single phrase. Single phrase. Seven words, if you're taking notes. God speaks effectively to us through Jesus. That's the book of Hebrews. You want me to sit and be done? Some of you are like, yes. (laughs) God speaks effectively to us through Jesus Seven incredible words. So let's, let's break them down. Four phrases, seven words. God speaks. You know, folks in the first century had a hard time understanding that there would be only one God that would speak to them. Now, these, this is not the Jews. This is, this is those cultures around them. They had many gods and, and, and many different beings that they believed in and, and idols. And, and so they would have had a hard time understanding, hey, only one God is going to speak to me one message? Now, folks in the 21st century have a hard time understanding that any God would speak to them. I mean, the God of the Internet speaks to him every day. I mean, not that you know, we, we do too much of that Internet stuff, but I mean, you know, talking about folks outside. They have a hard time understanding that God speaks. I think we're a proud people. I think that Satan has done a really good job keeping our focus where it doesn't need to be. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 reminds us, don't be conformed to the world. So, so don't have worldly thinking. Don't love the world or the things of the world. 1 John 2.15 Friendship with the world is hostility to God. James 4.4 And set your minds on things above, not on things on earth. Colossians 3.2 But we have a tendency to think we're in charge and we know what's going on and we have our lives together. And many times, many times, we do what we think is the best thing for us. We were just talking we're in a summer series, First and Second Timothy and Titus, the pastoral epistles, and we have guest speakers coming in on Wednesday nights, and then I preach whatever chapter those guest speakers are, are, are doing, and then I follow that up. So I'm missing what Bill Detheridge is speaking about tonight, and so I'll get to make up my own stuff. But, but I'm going to be speaking from First Timothy 6, but in these particular passages, the listeners are being told, by, by Paul, by Timothy, hey, you guys got to pay attention to what God is saying. You guys are hearing all this, this talk and this deception and, and all this forked tongue type things. And you've got to listen to God. We can become very self-centered, thinking we can accomplish everything. But we were telling, we were telling the kids and we were talking to the younger ones. 
and even our young marrieds, and, and they don't pay attention to gray hairs much anymore. Or no hairs, right? Yeah. <laughs> One of my elders has no hair. I can say that and get away with it. And somebody says, well, while you were saying that, boy, the, the, the light sure is shining brightly on your grays. I said, I, I did youth ministry for, forever, feels like. And in the last few years was probably the most frustrating of the years because I would, I would sit with the kids and we would talk and, and we would, would help them understand certain things and they would almost inevitably say, but I looked it up on the internet and it said, you know, gray hairs have been associated with wisdom for as long as I can remember, but the, the internet is associated with wisdom now. Oh, it says. Oh, you know, I, I, I watched a guy on YouTube and he said, And so we need to be very careful with our young, but we ourselves need to be careful too because we believe in our medicine. We believe in our computers. We believe in our science. We believe in our inventions. We believe in us. I love this story. Karen's going to know exactly what I'm talking about. I tell this joke slash story as much as I can because I just love, love the punchline, but I love the story that it tells. There are some scientists, and they have figured out just about everything. They're so proud of themselves. We can do so much. So they decide, hey, you know what? Let's have a showdown with God. Because we, we don't need God any longer. Because we can do anything that God can do. And so they tell him. They say, you know, God, we kind of feel like you're archaic. We kind of feel like you, you, you can't do as much as you used to. And we can do everything that you can do. And so we want to challenge you. And God says, okay, that sounds great. He says, I'll tell you what, let's do this. Let's create a man out of dirt, just like I did in the beginning. And the scientist kind of, yeah, we're in for that. Good. He goes, okay. He goes, you guys want to start? And they're like, yeah. The scientist reaches down and gets a big handful of dirt, and God goes, uh-uh, get your own dirt. I love that joke. Isn't it true? Everything in this room is made out of something that God's provided. Everything. Everything in our hearts, everything in our minds, everything that we can touch, anything we... So, oh, well, well, we made this beautiful songbook. We printed it on a printing press. Yeah, well, where'd you get the paper? Wasn't it provided by God with a tree? I mean, those pews, this carpet, the air conditioning, the gases, I mean, everything. Oh, well, man takes those things and makes it. Yeah, but where does he get the stuff to make it? It comes from God. God speaks to us, does he not, with all the things that he's made for us. Romans chapter 1 says, men are without excuse. Because through the things that I've made, I have shown myself. I speak through the things that I make. So God speaks. He's constantly speaking. He's always speaking. We just went to New York City this summer. We went to Colorado and and, and to New Mexico this summer. Total different spectrums. Saw some incredibly beautiful countryside went to new york city that was not beautiful countryside i was amazed at just the the busyness and the one focus you know people didn't even see her there karen's like quit talking to people you know people were trying to sell me stuff and and because i'll look them in the eye and go hey how you doing you know hey i want to talk to you you know and so you know, this guy was offering me a CD, and he's like, hey, just, you, you need to buy my CD. And, and I looked at him, and I said, well, I'm a preacher, man. I don't know. I said, is that, is that clean music? Uh, and I went, I don't want it if it's filthy. I said, you just 
I said, you just offered that to that teenage little girl over there. I said, why would you do that? They're like, oh, great. <laughs> we, got one, we got one of these guys. And I, I mean, I, I was just, it's amazing that people just go, go, go. When you're in the city, we, we, we were youth ministers in, in Dallas, Fort Worth area for about two and a half years. And we would take these trips out of the city. And the very first time we took a trip out to go see mountains and, and go see trees. Uh, of the nine kids that went, five of them had never been out of Dallas-Fort Worth. They had really never seen stars. Like, like we see stars when we go camping. And you know, for some of those kids, they're like, whoa. And I went, this is the world God made. Everything you see, this is what God does. And I said, you know, it's, it's sad that we get caught in ourselves. It's all about us. God speaks, and sometimes we forget to listen to the voice of God. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So God is speaking. But I love how the author of Hebrews says, but lately, lastly, he speaks to us through his son. So God speaks effectively. He's effective in his speaking. It's not a voice crying in the wilderness. It's not a spitting into the wind. It's not a coin flip. It's not a wild, no look, hope it goes in three-pointer. God's effective in his speaking because he does things on purpose. And he has this incredible shadow reality thing that goes through in the book of Hebrews. When you read through, he talks about these shadows. I remember when our kids were growing up, the first time they saw a shadow, their own shadow, they're like, you know, kind of, kind of flipping out. And we're like, hey, you know, that's your shadow. You, there's only a shadow when there's a reality. See, that's, I mean, see the tree? You know, look right there's the bird bath. Look over here, you see that? There's, there's only a shadow when there's a reality. And God has put so beautifully and perfectly in the book of Hebrews, especially, this idea of realities and shadows. The reality is Jesus. In almost every scenario, it's Jesus. And I just think that's great that he speaks effectively, calculated, and all-knowing. Gallup polls are influential and enlightening. George Gallup has done these polls over and over and over again. Americans were asked if they think religion or if they think God could help solve the world's problems in this Gallup survey. What do you think most Americans said? No. God's not relevant. Religion, not relevant. God's not relevant in this culture. Maybe back, you know, it's archaic, old-fashioned. Tells us God doesn't speak to us today. God doesn't talk to us today. The writer of Hebrews says, oh, yes, he does. He speaks effectively to us. Another Gallup survey. Do you know that over 65% of pastors and preachers, obviously a large group of religious men leading congregations were asked and interviewed, do you believe the Bible is relevant to the 21st century. This is the guys that are standing in front of their flock, in front of their congregation. 65% said no. It's full of good stories. Great morals gives us a little bit of hope, but not relevant. Not relevant. I mean, it's, how are you going to preach this stuff? It's, it's not relevant. It's archaic. That's what they say. But here's the, what's, what's cool, because Hebrews' message says to us, we're the target of God's effective Preaching and God's effective teaching. He's writing it to us. 
And he's speaking it to us so that we can see it and we can understand it. And it should be extremely relative to us. The first verse says, In many and various ways God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he spoke to us by a son. I love that message. God speaks effectively to us, and here's the good stuff, through Jesus. The key to understanding the message of Hebrews is to recognize that in Jesus, God's very unique Son, we have the ultimate solution to all of the world's problems. People go, well, yeah, 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 that sounds good. It always sounds good to say Jesus is the answer. How is he the answer? Well, Jesus is how God chose to act before the foundation of the world, while we were yet sinners, because of his love for us, Jesus was chosen to be the avenue of God's mercy. He gives us the rights and the privileges as sons and daughters adopted by the Father to sit at the Father's table, to enjoy full fellowship with the Father. The book of Hebrews says he gives us access to the Father, almost like those curtains are torn in two, and I can walk right in. Don't have to be a high priest. Walk into the presence of God, into relationship with God, all because of Jesus. He himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, that's how you get to the Father. He has all of these incredible, and isn't it funny, all the I am statements are in that other great book called John. He he helps us to understand who he is. The book of John is all about Jesus and names and identities and and revealing his very nature, being God in the flesh. Great, incredible book. It starts in the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, full of grace, full of truth. Glory of God. Only given to the begotten son. I mean, incredible, incredible stuff. So he gives us the right and privileges to be sons and daughters of God Almighty. In Hebrews, we'll see why Jesus is the answer. Sixteen times. Sixteen times you're going to see the word better or superior. I'm I'm a competitive person. I I used to be, this is a, a weird thing for a preacher, minister person to do, but I used to be on the PBA tour. If you don't know what that is, that's bowling. It's not a real popular game like it used to be, but I I, I love bowling. When somebody will say, who's better? Well, it depends on what you're talking about. (laughs) Well, what kind of shot are you talking about? Are you talking about a professional shot? Are you talking about a house shot? Are you talking about when the lanes are really oily or when the lanes are really dry? And some of you are going, what are you talking about? They actually put oil on the lanes. Have you ever stepped over the foul line and went, or watched somebody else do it? It's more fun when somebody else does it, but you know. When you, when you ask the question better when it comes to what the writer of Hebrews is saying, he says these words. He says, Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Abraham. Jesus is superior to the priest. Jesus is a superior high priest. Jesus has a superior law. Jesus is superior to the prophets. He is superior to all things, all men, all teaching. He is superior Everything about Jesus is God. He's the exact representation of his being. I love, love, love doing this with teenagers. And I don't know if Mike's done it or not. I I can't remember if it was the summer that he was there. But I love to lay paper down on the ground and have somebody lay on it and draw around their body. No, it's not like a dead body. But it looks like that. And you draw around it. And then you tell the teenagers, 
tell me what Jesus looks like. And they just give you that look. We don't know what Jesus looks like. I go, yes, you do. There's descriptions of Jesus. You just have to think it through a little bit better. What kind of eyes does Jesus have? Oh, eyes that see people. Eyes that are compassionate. Eyes that look toward the heavens for God. How about hands? Hands that are in prayer to the Father. Hands that are helping those in need. And so they draw these pictures. We had them on the walls for for several years. Because, see, what's interesting is we don't know what Jesus looks like, but in the book of Hebrews and other places, it tells us what we can look like by living just like him. I mean, there's, there's nothing about Jesus that I can match when it comes to physicalness, but I can match his spiritual character. Can I not? Can I be loving and kind and compassionate? Can I have eyes that he has? Can I have ears that hear the word of God? Can I not have hands that serve? Can I not have feet that, that carry the gospel, that, that work? That, I mean, you, you come up with you. I mean, I, I, y'all should do that as a congregation. It's a cool. One person put, drew a stomach. Actually, it's my son, my oldest son. And I went, a stomach? He goes, no stomach for evil, Dad. You know, I was like, hey, that's a good one. I like that. Incredible ways of looking at this. Jesus is our example in word and in deed. He shows us, does he not, how to be God-like, to have the very character of God, the representation of God. See, when folks see us, they should see Jesus. I'm always intrigued when in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, in the latter part of chapter 6, where he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many mighty works in your name? Didn't we do great things in your name? And he says, I, I, don't, I don't know you. It's more along the lines in the Greek of, I don't recognize you. Because I don't think you look like my son. And that's the goal of everyone. That's what the book of Hebrews is telling us. He's like, hey, look at Jesus. He's an incredible example. In the Sermon on the Mount, again, he says, you've heard that it was said to the men of old, but I say to you. I mean, isn't that God speaking through Christ? Isn't he right there saying, hey, you've heard about not killing folks? And man, you guys have done a great job. Pat yourself on the back. Never killed anybody in my life. Man, I kept the law. What a wonderful, wonderful job I'm doing. Have you ever been angry at somebody before? Have you called somebody names? Have you treated them in a way that's not right? He says, let me tell you something. Before you come and worship me, basically back then, before you come and give your gift at the altar, why don't you go fix what's wrong with your relationships, and then you come and worship me? Woo! That's a lot harder to deal with. Jesus came... And he, and he said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, and he said to all the people, hey, you've got to live this thing out. I, I, want it, I want you to look like me. Paul says, hey, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Throughout the New Testament, be imitators, be imitators, look like me. The pattern, the pattern that is talked about so often in the New Testament is Jesus. I mean, this Greek word tupos is used 19 times in 17 verses And with the exception of two times talking about the pattern of the tabernacle, it's always talking about character, our character, the fruits of the Spirit, fruits of the tree, right? When you see a lemon hanging from a tree, 
You can, you can, are, are they allowed to talk? Are we allowed to say it out loud? I'm going to get you excited. When you see a lemon hanging from a tree, what kind of tree is it? Lemon tree. When you see an orange hanging from a tree, what kind of tree is it? When you see a cherry hanging from a tree, what kind of tree is it? Teenagers, when you see money hanging from a tree, looks like your dad, doesn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, but you've been tired home. Money doesn't go on a tree. Isn't it interesting that Jesus constantly tells us that our lives are, are basically fruit? What we produce comes out of our mouth. Matthew 12 talks about this fruit that, that comes out, this, these words that we speak, the language that we use. The deeds and the actions that we participate in are all coming out of the heart. That's the fruit because that's the tree. And it's such an important concept for us to realize. I love, love, love. In John chapter 13, again, we come to John. Let me ask you a question. This is not a great theological question. It's just one of my favorite things to ask. Why did Jesus wash the disciples' feet? One of the lowliest things that he could do. He set an example, showed us that example. I want you to go even further back. Why did he wash the disciples' feet? That's a correct answer. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not. I just I love to ask this question. Because they were dirty. I mean, he took advantage of the opportunity. But the reality of what Jesus did was he saw a need and he filled it. Should have been done by the lowliest of all servants. But Jesus says, hey, let me tell you something. In verse 15, he says, I have given you an example so that others can see it. I want you to follow that example. But my favorite verse is verse 34 of John chapter 13. Because Jesus says, I have a new command for you. That's a big deal. Would you not think that's a pretty big deal? If Jesus Christ says, I have a new command for you, you think the ears might listen and the heart might... Uh, be alert and be ready to go. He says, I have a new command for you. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. You know, the, the Matthew chapter 22, what's the, greatest, what's the greatest commandment? You know, the lawyer asked Jesus, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two great ones and everything else hangs from that. Boy, you get those two right, you got everything falling into place. Jesus actually tweaks that just a little bit. Instead of loving your neighbor as you love yourself, why don't you love one another? Love each other as I've loved you. That raises the bar, does it not? The book of Hebrews is just filled with these incredible, John 2, all the books of the Bible, are trying to help us understand the character and the life of Jesus. A Jesus-less gospel is a gospel that deserves to be rejected. A Jesus-less gospel Deserves to be rejected. Without Jesus, we should just sleep in on Sunday mornings. No reason to be here. There's no hope. Right? Just go play golf or, or, or go bowling or, you know, which some people do anyway. But, but if, if we believe, I think with the knowledge and the understanding of the true superiority of Christ, when we, when we gather the message and we hold it tight, what the writer of Hebrews has said to us, we should not ever want to be anywhere else. It's not just about here. It's about all places. Because the church is right here, right? We all know that. And there, there's a song. I never learned a song. It's not the, it's not the steeple, it's the people. But, but that's just the amazing thing about the tabernacle. 
the temple, which are, are now gone in the book of Hebrews, says shadows. Realities? You. You. I'm going to come live in you. I'm going to make my dwelling place in you. And I'm going to expect you to represent me. And I'm, this is where I'm going to come live. And, and, and I want people, when they see you, to know that I am in you. That you are me. And, and, and that's being the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. Not you, to the Father. Because they recognize that you've been changed. Nothing should keep us from our relationship with Jesus Christ. He is our hope. And I'll give you one more verse, and it's not from John, and it's not from Hebrews, but it's from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. God speaks effectively to us through Jesus. What an incredible message. Seven words, four phrases, but hopefully changes the way we view the book of Hebrews. Thank you for letting me be here tonight. I heard a bell, so I think I'm good. Five-minute bell. I finished early, so how about that? That's good stuff. Do we have a prayer? All right.